You know who I hate? Okay, maybe hate's too strong of a word because I'm a pastor and I shouldn't use the word hate. Okay, you know who I have trouble dealing with? Green Bay Packer fans, that's right. No, 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 you're welcome if you're here. Ryan Carroll, we love that you're here. People who mistreat my kids. Anyone else? Yeah, you know, teachers, umpires, their friends. Like, I, you know, you struggle. Someone's gonna, like, not treat my kid right. Like, I struggle with that. You know, last year we had this one kid who kept tackling my six-year-old little Becca Boo on the resource, or on the resource, the recess, out in recess, and I didn't know I could struggle so much to dislike a six-year-old little boy. But you tackle my little Becca Boo over and over again, and come on, it's going to get real, right? Like, there's something inside of us as a parent that if you mistreat our kids, it just gets something going inside of it. And really, there's no point in making peace with me if you've hurt one of my kids. There's nothing you can do to compensate for mistreating one of my kids. It's not like you're, you know, you kick my, my, my daughter, Mariah, and she's like, you know, this big, and then you're like, hey, Eric, here's tickets to the Vikings game. Like, that's not going to pay off, okay? Like, there's nothing you can do if you mistreat one of my kids, but the reverse is also true. Like, I notice if you treat my kids well, if you take an interest in what they're interested in, if you hear Josh talk about Pokemon cards again, like, I don't get it, but thank you for those of you who do encourage him in that, or helping him talk about baseball, or Minecraft, or whatever it might be. Like, if you do something nice for my kids, you instantly become one of my favorite people. We're in this series called Family Values. We've been learning what it means to have the right kind of values that God wants us to have as a church, but also in our own families. And we've been talking about how if we aim at nothing, we'll hit it every single time. So we need to have a vision for our families. And we've talked about how a vision is a picture of a preferred future. That we need to have a vision of where we want to go with our lives, where we want to go with our family. We have a vision of where we want to go as a church. Well, early on, when the disciples were walking and talking with Jesus, they said, you know what? We want a relationship with God like you have. Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And here's what Jesus told them in Matthew 6, 9. He said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Maybe if you grew up in the King James church, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now we read that, and you've probably heard the Lord's Prayer at some point in your life. And you're like, yeah, we're family, Father, it's not a big deal. But we need to understand that up until this time, people related to God as almighty king, mighty one, never as father. So what does that mean that we can relate to God as our father? And conversely, what does that mean if God is our father and we are his children, how then do we treat each other? I said how there's nothing you can do to make up with me if you're mistreating one of my kids. There's no amount of sacrifices or singing or things you could do for me that's going to make up for mistreating my kids. And so that's what we're going to explore today. Well, we've been in this series, like I said, called Family Values. In week one, we, we talk about trusting God's promises. We talk about trusting God's promises. And for all the grammar nerds, we said how these are all present progressive. It's not something you make a decision for once. You check off that box it's not like on your, your wedding day how you can just say, hey, I love you, spouse, and then you never have to say it again. No, this is something you have to say every single day. And it's not just trust, checking the box one time, hey, I said I'm gonna trust God. 
It's every day in our families, in our church, in our own lives, we are trusting God's promises. We learn how we want to build our life on the rock, on the solid foundation of God's word and on his promises. And every day we're going to be trusting God's promises. Then we talk about pursuing uncommon unity. We said that if we are the children of God, if we are his church, that our enemy isn't other churches. Our enemy isn't even those who don't go to church anywhere, who don't believe in God. Our enemy is the evil one, the devil. And how Jesus tells us that the gates of hell will not prevail. And how that's not meaning that the gates of hell are going to come against us, but that we will plunder hell and push back the works of the enemy. But how as a church, one of the signs that we show that we've been changed and marked by God is by pursuing uncommon unity. We said how we want to reach out to people who look different from us. Talk about just at the, at, at the least level, someone find someone who looks different, then talks different, dresses different, give them a fist bump. And then we want to move from fist bumps to friendships. Number three, last week we talked about making bold moves. That we're designed to move. Jesus wants us to move. That movement brings life. I shared how just a week and a half ago, one of my close friends, Darren, passed away. And at his funeral, every time I'm in a funeral, it's make me think, man, what am I living for? And here's the thing is that every one of us, we're going to have a funeral someday. The death rate is still hovering right around 100%. And everyone else, we're going to have the opportunity to look back and say, did, did, we, did we spend our lives in pursuit of things that mattered? Every one of us is, is going to face God. And so we want to be making bold moves for God. We want to be making bold moves by investing in our children or those of us who are parents, by moving towards our spouse. And then today we're going to talk about showing visible love. We're going to be talking about showing visible love. That's, that's, our, that's our family value today. Not just theoretical love, not just lip service love, but deep biblical love. Would you join me in a word of prayer and then we're going to dive into today. God, thank you that you are here with us. God, thank you that you can be our firm foundation that we stand upon. Not the shifting sands of our own minds or or culture, or, or just the uncertainty of life, but God, that we can stand on you. So God, I pray that we just, we take these family values, that we would incorporate them into our own lives, and into our church, into our, our families. And then God, today, uh, you'd be with me as, as I share this message, and God, I pray for clarity, that uh, what I say would just, would make sense. God, that you'd be working in and around and through my words, so that everyone in here would receive the word from you that they need to receive. And God, that we would just walk out of here with a renewed passion of showing visible love to our neighbors and to those around us. In your name we pray, amen. Quick history lesson. For first couple thousand years of recorded human history, the way that all religion related to their deities was what we would call the temple model. The temple model of worship. Maybe they had some kind of sacred building, sacred text, sacred rituals that they would relate to God with. And you even go into the Old Testament, and you see that this is the model of the way that the Jewish people related to God. It was a temple model. And really, it answered the question, what must I do to be right with God? Whether you were following Yahweh, the God of, uh, that we serve and love, of the God the Old Testament revealed in himself through the scriptures, whether you are in another culture 
whatever it might be, that people related to God and really answered that question of what must I do to be right with God? And that maybe that was sacrifices, maybe it was giving, it was, it was all this, it was very vertical-centered. What must I do to be right with God? And at the end of the day, in this temple model that we see really throughout ancient history, is that my religion is all about me. The truth is that this temple model of worship really creeped into the New Testament and into the early church. And we see that still this temple model affects us today, that we get caught up in saying, what must I do to be right with God? I think this temple mindset even affects how we pray. Maybe it's why you tithe or are generous or why you obey the Ten Commandments. You, your approach to religion or Christianity is all about you. You're answering that question, what must I do to be made right with God? Maybe you even said, man, I need to get back into church. I need to get my life together. I need to break this habit. And that temple model is really about me and am I okay with God? And temple thinking, if you're taking notes and write this down, always gravitates towards rules and rituals. This temple thinking always gravitates towards rules and rituals. Honestly, I hear this as a pastor all the time. Like, what must I do exactly to be made right with God? What must I do to be made exactly to be made right with God? And so we say, oh, obey these rules. If you obey the Ten Commandments, then you'll be okay with God. Or we have these rituals of communion or baptism. Or if you pray this certain prayer, then you will be made right with God. But when Jesus came, he came presenting a new way to relate to God. And when he said, this is how you pray, our Father. That was mind-blowing for the disciples, for those in the first century Jewish concept. What do you mean that I can relate to God as a father? And what Jesus taught us is that eventually in your Christian faith, you have to move beyond what's in it for me. Here's what I want you to know deep down in your bones, this truth that could be life-changing for you. Are you ready for this? This is the truth that you could, can change your life, honestly, is that once you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are fine with God and God is fine with you. That if you have placed your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to pay the penalty for your sins, you are fine with God. There's no more that you have to do to earn God's favor, to earn his salvation. There's no more that you have to do any more than my kids have to earn love for me as their father. And God is fine with you. If you have trusted and put your faith in Jesus, things are good between you and God. You no longer have to ask, God, are we good? Do I have to do the sacred ritual or do these things to be made right with you? See, the issue with temple thinking is that leads you to loophole thinking. It's so easy to see, like, well, how close can I get to sin without sinning? Where is the line so I can go right up to the line and not cross it? Rituals become escape clauses. This is why some of you walked away from church. You encountered too many people who claimed to be Christians, but it didn't seem like it made any difference in their lives. You met too many mean-spirited Christians who held up mean signs or said and did mean things on social media. And you thought, you know what? If that's what a Christian looks like, I don't think it makes much difference in how you're living. And so maybe you walked away from the church. See, temple thinking asks, what must I do to make God happy? 
It's a form of self-centered religion that Jesus has invited us to abandon completely. See, Jesus offered a radically different way of thinking and relating to God. Here's what you and I need to understand, is that the Jesus model is centered on the you beside you. The Jesus model is centered on the you beside you. So you can turn your neighbor right now and say, it's centered on you. Go ahead. If you're confused, that's okay, we're gonna get to this. If you're a Democrat, that means the Jesus model is centered on the one to the right of you. If you're a Republican, it's the one to the left of you. It's centered on the you that you would call your enemy, on the you who has different colored skin than you who, or who sounds different than when you talk. See, following Jesus is an invitation to leave behind a religion that's centered on you to a model that's centered on the you beside you. See, if we read the New Testament this way, it'll come alive to you in a way that never has before. We are invited to love people as our heavenly father loves us. That's what the way of Jesus is all about. Jesus came to teach us that we are all children of the heavenly father. And how would our father like us to treat him? Well, John 15, 12 says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another. That you love one another just as I have loved you. In the same way that our heavenly father has loved us, he wants us to love each other. The apostle Paul a follower of Jesus, he writes this in Galatians chapter five. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, this is the, the old way, this is temple thinking, none of that has any value. The only thing, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul, what do you mean the only thing? Doesn't, doesn't worship, doesn't prayer, doesn't giving, doesn't generosity, isn't all this stuff to, to earn God's favor? It, doesn't that count? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Whoa. Paul goes on to say in Galatians 5, 14. For the whole law, all of it is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, my friends, this is where I want you to pay attention. This represents 100% departure from temple thinking. This is something I'm still working through and figuring out. It's realizing, do you know why we should tell the truth? Yeah, because the Ten Commandments. No, no. Do you know why I should tell the truth? Because Jesus says, because when you lie, you hurt the person you lied to. You are covering yourself at someone else's expense. You are essentially saying to them, you are not worthy of the truth. Do you know why we should be generous? Because when you're generous, it helps the person you're being generous to. Do you know why you shouldn't gossip and talk badly about someone? Not because it's in scripture and we want to obey these rules. It's because you hurt someone else. Someone else who has dignity and worth and value, who's a child of God. You elevate yourself at someone else's expense. You're tearing down someone else to a, maybe a friend so you can look better and feel better about yourself. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you gossip or lie or are stingy. Do you know why the way of Jesus says to not have sexual relationships outside of the covenant of marriage? Is it because God's a killjoy? It's because you don't wanna do anything that causes regret in someone else. God says that if you are in the bonds of a covenant marriage and you know that you can give yourself wholly and completely 
to that person because they have committed themselves to you. You can be fully naked mentally, spiritually, sexually in all ways. And that is the model. And that you don't violate that commitment because you don't wanna cause someone else to do something that causes regret in their life. The bottom line is the, the whole New Testament example of that demonstrates our love for God by loving others. Jesus said all the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is just commentary, application of these two things. All those Bible verses about how to live and how to serve God and love others, honestly, they're not there for our benefit, although we will benefit by following the way of Jesus. They aren't there for, for God's sake, he's gonna be fine. They're there for the benefit of everyone that we come in contact with. Every person who is a child of God who has dignity and value and worth. And the Bible says this is how you are to treat one another. It's not so that we can earn favor with God. He's good with us. It's God saying these are how you treat other children of God. This is how you love your neighbor. Now I know what some of you are thinking. Like, Eric, you're really dumbing down Christianity here. This is like, this is like Woodstock Christianity. Like, hey man, it's all about love, right? The Jesus model is less complicated, but it's far more demanding. It sounds so simple, but it's far more demanding. Because at the center of our Christian faith is the God-man Jesus who died covered in the blood and saliva of other men who spit on him as he hung on that cross. It's much simpler, but much, much more demanding. If you were raised in Christianity, then you know it's easy to find loopholes, the place to hide in temple thinking. Well, does the Bible really address that specifically? You know, well, that's Old Testament. As long as, you know, that, that doesn't really matter. Or, you know, that, it doesn't matter if I do this. As long as I, I ask for forgiveness and confess it, 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 you know, am I really hurting that other person? In temple religion, you always find a workaround. You find a loophole. But it's hard to find a loophole in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In the way that Christ loved us as the way he served us, the way that Christ gave everything for us, that's how we're supposed to relate to one another. And in Luke chapter six, it's hard to find a loophole when Jesus says to love your enemies. Love those people who hurt you. Those people who said something that, man, that rubbed you the wrong way. It broke your heart. They, they cheated you. They stole some business from you. Love your enemies do good to those who hate you. This is not easy. This is so hard. And in verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Friends, this is why the Christian faith is so spectacular. In following Jesus, there's no place to hide. There's no loopholes. There's no shortcuts or workarounds to say, well, that person didn't treat me right, so I'm gonna treat them wrongly. Be merciful. Love your enemies. I think if you had to borrow this down, it's, it's asking, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? Because I think most of us in situations, we know the answer to that question. 
we know what love required of us. I mean, you can Bible verse yourself, hide in the temple, loophole your way out of different Bible verses, but when we ask ourselves, what does love require of me? That is the heart, that is the essence of the way of Jesus. If that sounds too simple, if that sounds too watered down, we have to know that when our Heavenly Father asks that question, what does love require? It caused him to give his one and only son for you and me. When our Savior asked, what does love require of me? He hung on a cross for you and me that we can be made right with God. That our sins, all the ways we mess up, the ways that we couldn't earn our salvation, that we could never be made right with God except for through that sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the good news of the gospel. Jesus asking, what does love require of me? And then he rose again and he turns to you and me and he says, follow me. Follow my example of loving your neighbor. How do we follow Jesus? We answer that question, what does love require of me? Can you imagine what would happen in our families? If in every situation we ask that question, well, what does love require of me? Imagine what would happen in our cities if every Christian for one month, red and yellow, black and white, we said, you know what? What does love require of me? I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm gonna have the same mindset as Christ Jesus had in all my relationships. When you go back to the early church, it's just fascinating to me. And if you don't like history, I could bore you here, but you look at the early church and it's an amazing picture. We talk about this, of unity. Slaves, masters, children of slaves, rich, poor, Jews, Gentiles, Roman citizens, all coming together because of Jesus. And, and, and they, had, they didn't have the written scriptures yet in those first years of the early church. But they were following the way of Jesus as they, they came together and they knew that Jesus said, if you forget everything else, love God and love each other. Love God and love each other. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower of him. We talk a lot mostly about our big three. And maybe you get tired of hearing it, but we're all about helping you love God. When you know that God loves you, that when he sees you as a heavenly father. And we talk about serving others, loving others. I believe that the answer to the question is, what does love require of me? It's serving. It's thinking of others more highly than ourselves. It's saying, what does this cost me that I'm going to, to love you? I'm going to serve you. That is the way of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Someone who's following in Jesus, following in his footsteps. Imagine a world where the people around us were critical of us, of our beliefs. But we say, hey, there's one way to live. There's one pathway to God. But they were envious of us because of how we loved one another and how we loved those who were not yet part of our one another. They said, you know, maybe we don't agree with everything that church teaches, but we're sure glad that they're in this city because they make a difference. They truly 
love this city. They truly love each other. They truly love their neighbor. That's what happened in the early church. And it made a massive difference. Well, maybe, again, you're hearing this and you're like, I'm still not tracking with you, Eric. I'm still not agreeing with you. You know, you kind of forgot about a big thing, Eric. And you know what? On Monday, I'm going to email you about this. I'm going to let you know what you did wrong. That's fine. But maybe you're going to say, Eric, you're talking about this is all about people. You're, you're forgetting about God and his glory. What about that? Well, that's a good question. Let's, let's look at what Jesus said. And I hope this wrecks you in the same way it wrecked his first followers. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 40. This is Jesus talking. It says, when the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, one of his favorite titles, comes in his glory, when Jesus comes back in his, all his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, Jesus was talking to a bunch of people who knew shepherding and, and, and goats in this culture. We don't really get it, but there's two categories, okay? And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, he's talking about himself, Jesus, he's coming back in his glory, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. At this point, I think the disciples and the followers of Jesus, they're listening to Jesus' story, and they're like, what? You know, when was Jesus hungry? I thought... I thought he could make, you know, multiply food. I don't know. Did you give him some food? No, no, okay. And he says, you know, I was a stranger and you invited me in. And, and, and the sheep are saying, when was Jesus a stranger? I don't know. I needed clothes and you clothed me. When was Jesus naked? I'm not sure. I never saw him naked. I was sick. Jesus can get sick, I guess so. And you look after me. I was in prison. What? Jesus broke the rules? How did he end up in prison? I don't know. And you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king, Jesus, will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for one of the least of the brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The Jesus model centers on the you beside you. Our devotion is to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by our love for others. Jesus says, whatever you do for one of them, it's like you did for me. When you show a visible love by clothing those who don't have the ability to clothe themselves, when you give food to the hungry, when you advocate for those who have no advocates, when you are a friend to the friendless, when you sit at the lunch table with someone who doesn't have a friend, it's like you're doing it for Jesus. My wife, Kristen, uh, is a corporate speaker, and that's, that's her job. She gets to go around training people on personal accountability. And this week, she did a great session with Medtronic, and they had a women's summit. And one of the speakers, 
was brainstorming with Kristen about this idea of a secret society of contagious kindness. And they're talking about this viral video of some, some young men at a school who bought some clothes for a student who didn't have money for clothes. And he said, wouldn't that be amazing if, if parents encouraged their kids to do that Instead of posting all about their accomplishments, about winning the trophy or, or looking perfect, they said, man, look at my son. Look at how he showed kindness, how he showed visible love to someone in his school. And this dad said, he told his kids, hey, I will pay for you to go to the movies and, and fund y- your tickets and, and all your snacks as long as you invite someone from the school, that kid who never gets invited. I'll pay for everything if, if, if you invite that friend. I don't know if this, this man is a follower of Jesus or not. But I thought, man, what a great example of the way of Jesus of showing visible love. Let's encourage the secret society of contagious kindness in our children and us. That in every situation, we ask, what does love require of me? Our Father loves us. We don't need to earn his favor. Through what Jesus did on the cross, we're good. We're justified in his sight. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. But the way of Jesus is showing visible love. The Jesus model centers on the you beside you. Your devotion is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for others. My friends, what if it was that simple? What if it's as simple as asking, what does love require of me? And to honor God, I will love the you beside me. And the harder that person is to love, the more honoring it is to our Father in heaven. What if we got that right? I honestly think it has the power to change our families, our church, our city, our communities. When we moved to Osseo, we said, man, this is our fourth move before we turn four. It's a lot of moves. And so we got these t-shirts made. Matt Anderson, one of our worship leaders here today, uh, he designed this together. And uh, we said, you know, we are here for good. This is what we wore in the parade. And it's kind of a play in words. Um, And we really thought about doing the number four because we're four years old and we launched on October 4th. We decided not to because we're here for good. And what that means is that we're hoping not to move again. We don't want to move again until God maybe blesses us with a permanent building. But also, we're here to show visible love. We're here to be a force for good, a blessing, a belonging, of asking what does love require of us individually as a church? We have some teachers out back. I'd love for you to grab one of these. As I wear this, it's a tangible reminder that we are here for good. We are here for a purpose. It's not getting so caught up. God, are we good? What do I need to do to earn your favor? It's saying that through the shed blood of Christ on the cross, we're fine. And now we show our devotion and love for God by loving others. I want to invite the band to come on up. On November 10th, we're not going to gather here for worship. We're actually going to gather to scatter. We're going to serve our community. I'd love for you to have one of these t-shirts on as we serve our city. As we say, what does love require of us? As As we be a blessing. The last thing I want to just talk about is small groups. 
I know many of you haven't signed up for a small group, and, and that's fine. I get it. It's scary. Maybe two, you said, I tried small groups out. It's not really my thing. I don't need another Bible study. I don't, I don't need this in my spiritual walk. Here's the deal, though. Even at a church our size, I can't care for and shepherd every single one of you. I can't provide the love and care that you need. I'll do my best. Our staff can. But how we show visible love, how we meet each other's burdens, how we care for one another, how we pray, how we, how we share, how we lift up, encourage one another, is in the context of small groups. My desire for you as pastor is that every one of you has a community of people around you who care for you. You can share, hey, I am struggling. That when you move, you have someone on the other side of that couch, because that's how you know someone really cares for you, right? When they're willing to help you move. I want you to be in a small group. Not because you need to, another Bible study. Not because you need something else in your life. Not because we just want numbers or something. It's because I want something for you. I want you to have a community of people who know you. And not only that, it's an opportunity for you to show your love for the you beside you. It's an opportunity for you to show visible love to others. It's a lot harder to do that sitting in rows on a Sunday morning. But when we gather in circles in someone's home or in a restaurant, when we open God's word together, when we share, when we pray, when we go through hard times, when we serve outside down at a soup kitchen or we do something or when we have fun, we're showing visible love to one another. And that's the model of Jesus, is doing life with each other, showing love. If you haven't joined a small group, I want you to really think hard about joining one of those. We have Monday night men's group, just for guys. We watch football and then we talk. I mean, that's pretty low commitment. Eat some wings, watch football, talk. We have Monday night women's group. We have a Tuesday night group for singles, for, for couples. Wednesday night group for singles, for couples. Thursday night group for singles, for couples. We have a Wednesday morning men's Bible study. There's lots of opportunities. A Sunday night small group. Find one that works for you. And here's the thing. Maybe not everyone in that group looks just like you or is in the same life stage as you. But when we show visible love to someone who looks different from us, who might be in a different life stage, we are glorifying and honoring our Father in heaven. I said early on, man, I just can't handle when someone mistreats my kid. But when someone shows love to my kid, when someone shows affection and interest in their life, man, that makes me so happy, so thrilled. In the same way, when we show visible love to other children of our Heavenly Father, our Father smiles and makes his day. That's the way of Jesus. Showing visible love, loving our neighbor. Would you stand with me? As we close our service, as Josh mentioned, we have a Sunday fun day. Again, maybe you're here today and you're like, Eric, there's no way I'm getting in a bounce house and I'm not gonna paint my face, all right? So I'm gonna go home. A way for you to show visible love is to show up. Invest in a little kid. Get to know them. We have kids here who grandparents live in other states or two hours away. You could be that grandparent in the church of showing love to that child. 
meet someone else, get to know their story, show an interest in them. That's a way of showing visible love. Don't just dip out. The Vikings don't play till 3.30. You got plenty of time. Grab a hot dog, make a friend, show love, love your neighbor. This week, I want all of us, I'm gonna be doing this, asking how, what does love require of me in my relationship with my wife, in my relationship with my kids, at work? What does love require of me? How can I love my neighbor, God? How can I show visible love? How can I love other children of our heavenly father? I truly think it has the power and potential to change our families, our city, our church. Would you join with me in prayer and then we're gonna receive our offering. God, thank you. You saw us in our mess and our brokenness and you knew that there was nothing that we could earn in the temple model of, of finding a way to be made right with you. And so God, you sent Jesus to once and for all make a final sacrifice so that we didn't have to strive or work hard to accept, to be accepted by you. So God, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, I pray, God, that we would walk in the confidence that you are Father, you love us, you accept us, you're proud of us. And that, God, that then we'd follow in the way of Jesus by asking, what does love require of me? How do I love my neighbor? How do I serve them? How do I love them? How do I care for them? God, give us eyes to see this world as you see it. Let us be here for good, to be bringers of blessing and belonging and bringers of belief in you, Jesus. God, let this word penetrate deep our hearts and my own soul. Help me to love deeper and wider. God, help me to get out of my own way, to not be so self-centered, but God, to love those around me. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. I just wanna say thank you so much for all those who give to Mosaic. Um, I don't know if we have the slide. Uh, probably not. I didn't tell Josh to put it in there. But I just wanna tell you, because of your generosity, we're able to exist as a church. Because of your generosity, we're able to have shirts like this. We don't say, hey, drop off your $10 and we'll give you a shirt. We just say, people in this room are generous and so we give away the shirts. We gave away, you know, hundreds of dollars of candy at the Osseo Parade. Because of your generosity, 38 students gathered at Whirly Ball on Sunday nights with our youth group as they had a fall kickoff. And Josh just did a phenomenal job and all our leaders are our students. And so thank you. Because of your generosity, our students are able to have that wonderful experience to connect with other leaders because of your giving. Because of your generosity, we're able to have things like these family fun days. So thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for allowing us to love others, to serve others, for teenagers to, to get to know uh, leaders, to have fun. We don't have to charge them for things like that. So thank you. Thank you for giving. You can give anytime online. We're gonna ask the ushers to come forward and let's sing this song as we go out of here. Just thankful for God's amazing grace. We'll see you at this fun day.